Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Take Notes is Fred again to talk about how he wrote, recorded, and produced the album Actual Life 3, January the 1st to September the 9th, 2022. Fred Gibson, better known as Fred again, is a songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and producer. Starting out as a classical musician during his school years, Fred was also heavily inspired by hip-hop and began to experiment with composition and music production. At the age of 16, through a mutual friend, he joined an a cappella group organized by producer Brian Eno, and after impressing him with his musical capabilities, gained Brian as a mentor. Continuing to venture further into the world of production, Fred co-produced an album with rapper Roots Maneuver and began taking on roles on tracks from a number of high-profile artists. In 2018, he began to turn heads within the music industry when he co-wrote George Ezra's smash hit Shotgun. The track spent four weeks at number one, only to be knocked off by Clean Bandit's solo, which Fred also co-wrote and co-produced. In increasingly high demand, 2019 saw Fred share his talents on tracks from artists including BTS, Ed Sheeran and Stormzy. The success of each record saw Fred involved as a songwriter or producer on 30% of the number one songs in the UK that year, ultimately leading to him becoming the youngest recipient of the Brit Award for Producer of the Year. In April 2021, he released his debut solo album, Actual Life, a collaborative diary centering around sounds and samples uncovered from the unlikeliest of sources, as explored in Tape Notes episode 75. The second album in the series, Actual Life 2, arrived in November that year, and after a viral boiler room set, his solo work began to reach a much wider audience. Since then, he has collaborated on tracks with artists including Swedish House Mafia, H, Hi and Romy, and in October 2022, he released Actual Life 3. His third full-length album in 18 months, the record digs further into his sample exploration, all the while reflecting on its two predecessors. Today, I'm here in Waterloo, South London, with Fred, at Fred's house. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record. This is Blue, Better With Time. Just know that it get better every time. I just know that. I just know that it get better. So fast, you can tell him that you lost it. I just know that it get better every time. So blessed. It is Blue Better with Time by Fred again from Actual Life 3. And I'm very pleased to say that I am sat with Fred again. What's good? For another episode of Take Notes. Great to see you, Fred. Thanks for having me back, man. It's a real pleasure. And thanks for inviting us into your home. So we're actually in your house, your flat. Yeah. In central London. The river is a stone's throw away. It's South London. I'm from South London. I quite like the, I feel safe and secure me now. Me too. My hood, oh, good. as it were. That's almost. why we did it, yeah. And what a beautiful pad you have thanks yeah that's a happy place to write i've had lots of very peaceful slow early mornings writing on that table there because yeah the sun 
comes in from all the different mm. that angle and then that angle and so yeah it's a lovely place to write yeah fantastic and of course the new album is out actual life three we're talking in actual life <laughs> and it's interesting because we did another episode with you obviously mm. around actual life the first one that was only last year and yet so much has happened so this was it the first record we did, not the second one? It was the first one. I don't, yeah. I don't remember. Yeah, recorded in June 21. So I think it had just come out. Right. Uh, that was episode 75. If you haven't heard that episode of Take Notes with Fred again before. Um, <laughs> again before. I know. It's, it gets complicated. <laughs> but um, so much has happened. I mean, that's the amazing thing. Because when we were talking before, the pandemic was still kind of off and on. And, you know, real life hadn't really come back. You, yeah. You hadn't really played shows. And now yeah. it's a whole different world because we're up to your third solo album. You've had a whole series of EPs as well. Mm. And you've played loads of shows. Yeah, that is mad. Did, I, did you say we did it in June? Yeah. Yeah. It was so, a really, really warm day. So I hadn't maybe played a show yet. I think my first show was in July. Right. Which does feel... Yeah, that's a different world, that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that we yeah. were living in there. Yeah. No, it's it's bizarre to think that that's the case. Because, yeah, shows have definitely changed my life. Right. In the last year, for sure. And do you think they've had an impact on the music as well? Definitely, yeah. The thing that I was probably experiencing when we did, when we spoke first, was how much the, like, just reading people's messages about what that record had sort of started to mean to them, like, that like totally changed my life, like in terms of, yeah, just these stories I'd get on like Instagram or in other places about something, meaning something totally different to someone else than it does to me, or in some cases totally the same, but that like changed why I write. Cause I made the first record more just like a sort of diary entry. What I mean by that is that the shows are then like the most extreme version of that because in the same way you can get a message from someone when you're then at a show, like you can actually see the human beings, even though you can't always have like a actual conversation, the exchange of energies and shit, like that has totally changed my mental makeup for sure. That's really interesting. And in terms of the sound of the music, because if we listen to Actual Life 3, mm. it's much more of a, a dance floor album, isn't mm. it? Yeah, no, I think, I mean, that was like not conscious to be honest. But I'm sure that that will be a reaction to the fact that I was playing the music in rooms and actually dancing with people as opposed to like on the first one and to a degree to like, yeah, no, it's not really dance music. I mean, it's got like drums that sort of signal those tropes, but it's not really built for those rooms. And there are songs on this record that I guess aren't either, but a lot of it is, I think, unconsciously affected by that for sure. Yeah. Well, we're going to delve into it and find Sick. out more about it. And the first song we're going to look at is Delilah, Pull Me Out of This. So if we hear a bit of The Master and then we can Shit. dig into how you okay. created it. This is where we find out if I have The Master of that song. <laughs> I tell you what, I do have, yeah, an offensive amount of demos. <laughs> I think this is a master. Might not be the final one. Oh yeah, that's a really old edit. <laughs> I think the fact that we're listening to this version of the song actually tells a really good... <laughs> the fact that in my... that I thought this was a master says a lot about the journey this song has went on because this is like six months old 
different first minute of the song, different piano riff, different. <laughs> and this is billed as Delilah Master. <laughs> Yeah, like the whole thing. Okay, now I'll try and actually get play the action faster. <laughs> I think it's good doing it this way around. We've unintentionally done it chronologically, but like this um, whole record, here we go. Yeah, it went through so many different forms and that was one of the first ones. But yeah, so then the final one <laughs> gets to like this kind of place. But well, when I just got here, I was just a bit like, I don't want to be here anymore. Pull me out of this. So Delilah, a tune with many different evolutions. Yes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was good the order in which we did that. So with, I mean, maybe I asked this question before, but with actual Light three and with the diary concept, do we assume, you know, as the opening track is like January the 1st, 2022, mm. that each of these are like in chronological order? Totally, yeah. I mean, there is in a chronological order, but obviously things inevitably get blurrier because when you start something isn't always the same as when you finish something because things take different lengths, obviously. So... It is vaguely in a chronological order, but like there are some songs that took much longer than others. So say when you might have started Delilah in February. I mean, yeah, I, that's but, right. But you might not have finished it until August. Yeah, August. exactly. Yeah. So like I think of it like the thing that's important to like kind of roughly stay true to is the like emotional epicenter of the piece. Like when I, that was in February and like what she was saying definitely felt like it was the beginning of the story that I was wanting to tell in the record. So even though that tune then took months, like that was always clearly like going to be the second or third song to me. But like it was, I mean, the thing that was interesting with it, to your point about like people change affecting the music is that this one that I played first that I thought was the master, this would have been in March. With the piano riff that was this. From here, one. Like, I then played that in a rave I did somewhere. And it was really, really instinctively obvious immediately that that riff was way too complex for the message I wanted the song to send at that moment. Like, she's meant to be the ethereal sort of angel that you can't pin down. And then the music's meant to pull you out of it and put you in a steady place. And that piano riff, as soon as I played it in a room, like, it was so obvious. Like, it's three different phrases. It's like... um It's one bar is 
bar one is one phrase, bar two and three is a different phrase, and then bar four is a different phrase. But when it started to get close to the one. The rhythm is hypnotizing more, so you can surrender to it and get into more of a, it pulls you out of it, I hope, a bit more. Right. And that was so, I remember so vividly playing it in the room and it wasn't doing any of the things I imagined it would do in that room. I could feel that people were not able to latch into the melody in the way I wanted them to be. Um, and so then there was this sort of journey towards that riff, shout out. Kieran Fortet as well for helping a lot with that because we then had another moment like that where we played a better version of it at a rave in New York and the riff would, would have been like am I fucking you guys up by playing the piano did anyone expect this was <laughs> no, no, no it's great um, would have been like yeah. And so then we played that one. And what was really interesting is that when I asked Kieran to sing back the riff to me that was... He sang... And he instinctively just thought that's what it was doing when he'd heard it. And then I noticed that people in the club were actually singing that riff that wasn't there. Like that wasn't in the song, but it was like implied that that was what him, Sonny, Skrillex heard it, the riffers being that, the people in the rover singing that, and it wasn't in the notes. <laughs> and so then I was like, okay, we need to just like slightly hint at that being in the notes to bring that out. So you then actually made that a bit more explicit? At, yeah, so at different moments. So at some moments it's more implied and at some moments it shows you the thing on a higher synth that, that comes in and shows you it a bit clearer. That was what Kieran and I spent time trying to like solidify the relationship between yeah yeah amazing and when did it start i mean did it start with that phrase that she's singing yes and it, so how did you come across that well so that i came across that because it's a song that she'd written with my little brother and so he would played it to me and i was like oh my god this is amazing so this is delilah um, montague that's right yeah, yeah 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 shouts out delilah and shouts out benji my brother um yeah they made this song and then i sort of been wanting to sample it Yeah. Eyes on the ceiling, chasing a feeling. I'm only drinking water now. And so, did you actually use that version? To no, there's a different version that she posted uh, where she was singing on Instagram, um, which is what I sampled, I think. So they're all going harder, but you know how to calm me down. Touch me, talk to me, pull me out of this place. Pretty light. Actually, you know what's. Hold on. <laughs> now I'm saying this, I'm like, there's a whole other realm of this tune that I actually made with George from the 1975 that I might still put out if I finish. This was, I think, the first version of it I worked on for ages. And is this a collaboration that existed online or were you in the same room? No, we were working this yeah. together for a few t Yeah, yeah, yeah. Love George. He's an incredible producer and dude. Mm. Touch me hard. 
I think there is still something important to me in this version because it's telling a really different story, this to me. And is that you singing that? No, this no. is her pitch down. Oh, wow. Yeah. But this moment here. Like this I've played out and it does a very different thing and I do still love it but I could never find a way of and simultaneously I think I was working on the other version that tells the kind of other side to her story I guess that's more to me the sound of being in it and the other one's more the sound of being pulled out of it yeah really like the sound of that though appreciate it yeah, yeah. no I do still love that one and there's a few other <laughs> various ones on the way there I wonder what this is another one <laughs> I mean there'll be there'll be so many right. of these <laughs> I mean, that was going to be one of my questions for you today yeah. is that, you know, listening to the album and there's so many different elements of rhythm and trying to make a decision on the right beat, the right rhythm, the right yeah. tempo yeah, 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 for yeah. these songs. Because then, say, if we take the last two albums as well, then you'll do a piano EP, which takes out the tempo yeah, 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 yeah. and the beat completely. And you know, there's so many options. You know, how do you make those, those decisions? I, I, clearly I mean, you go that, through. Yeah, I go through all of them a lot of times. Sometimes there are ones where you do get it more pieces of the puzzle earlier on. But I'm looking now and yeah, there were probably two songs on this record where the natural state, well, not even natural, but the first version of it I tried ended up being it. But yeah, there's a lot where I'll turn over every stone to see what, because you can't like, you have to try it, I think. Like, you can imagine in your mind, oh, what would it be like that beat? And like, oh, no, I don't want to hear it. But so often you need to just be confronted with that piece of music and actually see how it makes you feel to know what you can learn from it. And yeah, so this Delilah was for sure one of those. And similarly with Berwin. Yeah, no, there's like a... It's like, remember when we were talking about having the different, like, drones that frame the emotion of the music differently? Mm. Like, on Delilah, it was always very... One thing I didn't challenge ever was that the drone was an F, which is on the fifth of the scale, which is the sweetest note to put a drone on. So if you're in like um, these kind of chords, um, if your pedal is there, whereas if my pedal was on the D, the third of the scale, that has a much more haunting realm to it. And those types of things, I'll, I'll move where the drones are, because I build so many of them out of drones and just seeing what, which drone like complements the emotion the most. And then the next part of that, I think, is which beat complements the drone, which complements the emotion, right? and then which chord progression. And what do you use to make the drones? I usually like... Oh, it's good this actually, yeah, I'll show you the... Um, because there are obviously loads of different kinds of drone-making instruments now, be they electronic or traditional instruments. You know. So often I'll drag the song, whatever state I'm working on, or a random song just from my iTunes, but create it from itself. So like, okay, I'll just drag in a whole bounce of this. And there's this thing that Brian showed me 
that is that we use a lot for these where okay so this is the song so then this is the song just drenched out to a different place and then see this thing it's essentially incredibly simple what this is doing it's just a spectral analyzer that you can choose the frequencies of so if I then um, slightly streamline it so you can start to draw which ones you're finding. But you can go as precise as if I turn this to 2,000 different modes, I can just pluck out a note, so it'll be like... Wow. So, I mean, that is amazing, because for those who are listening to the podcast and not looking at oh, yeah, yeah. our YouTube stuff... So, Fred, you, you're taking this spectrum analyzer, and in effect, you, you know, you've got the sound wave, but you can, as you say, draw by dragging it and you know enlarge yeah. it, shrink it, and move it around and hear the results as you're doing it. Yeah. It's essentially like a, an EQ, but if the EQ was like binary, like instead of turning down 800 hertz, you're turning on or off 800 hertz, which fundamentally becomes like you can just draw chords because obviously the chords are just made of, you know, if A is 440, I'm not gonna be able to remember the different notes off my head, but yeah, like sure. you could just draw an A minor chord. This is a random chord. I mean, that emotion is obviously suddenly really like eerie. But if yeah. you were to color it in with, it starts to show a little bit more sweetness. Because in a way, you you often use this technique as um, uh, not having a blank canvas as well. Yeah, you know, so yeah, that yeah. Instead yeah. of just having nothing. Yeah, yeah. Can... Well, if there's a vocal that I love, which is usually what I start from. I'll be editing it and chopping it over different drones and seeing what I like learn from how it makes me feel in different frames, I guess. And for those who are interested in using that bit of kit, what yeah, was that? Yeah, that's Expert Sleepers by Spectral Conquest. That's good. I don't usually, I remember last time I wasn't very good on like the Geary tech side. <laughs> There's a cold hard stat That's a plugin. Yeah, I think it's really interesting you know, because that blank canvas thing, you know, taking away that blank that you're faced with yeah, creatively. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did I tell you the Brian story of him like giving me loads of sketches? This is such a good bit of um, Brian. I think you should share. Just think, you know, okay. where's the harm in repeating okay. it? We should also just in case uh, clarify, this is Brian Eno. That That's right. Yeah, to, yeah, just yeah. in case people don't know of the connection. Yes. Um, because you explained your connection to Brian in episode 75 very well and gave us that history, which was fascinating. So that is essential listening. Um, <laughs> um, but just as, I mean, it's great that you mentioned George from the 1975 because they were on for a second time, just as you're on for a second time, only so, recently uh, for the new album. Yeah, but the Brian story. Yeah, so he, um, when I was making the first record, really, I was like very lost with, like when I was first slicing up the samples that I'd find from other people, it was a really like conflicting experience because I was very aware that I was sort of distorting their spirit. You know, it was one thing when it was people, friends off of my phone, but it was another when it was a random person from a video on Instagram in the middle of America or whatever. And so I found it, I would get very like anxious about like whether it was okay and stuff and find it very hard to just kind of start to go into the state of play and things like that that is so important and he um i was explaining this to <laughs> to brian and he goes like and while i'm explaining like 
sort of where I'm at and like why I'm not really kind of nothing's getting past just like a very sort of shit sketch stage. He was like listening. He was like, mm, okay, yeah, okay. And he was like on his iTunes. He dragged like 500 things from his iTunes just onto my hard drive. I was doing that. And I was like, what was that? He was like, so these are some things I've made over the last couple decades. And from now on, whenever you start an idea, you have to start from one of these sketches in any form. And he was like, and you can't look through them. You have to start from whichever the first one you click is. What is so powerful about that and what that liberated in my mind is that you're, you know, I drag something in and sometimes it wouldn't be something that would be inspiring me in that moment. Or sometimes that'd be something that I would never make. Or sometimes it would be something that I would never have been trying to pair with this vocal I'm working on. So it immediately puts you into a state of play because instead of it being like sat at the piano, like, is that the best thing I've ever played? No. Uh, is that the best thing I've ever played? No, scrap it. It just puts you into a state of, well, here's like loads and loads and loads of stuff. And you like chip away and you go into a state of like, oh, well, what would be interesting? Maybe if we slowed the whole thing down by 400% and filtered out to only these two frequencies. Or what if we like just looped the first beat at 160 BPM and had the frequencies like jumping up and down into different spots. And so you're just, you're immediately chipping away at this big block of stone as opposed to like, hoping that you're just going to stumble across something. So your bar of inspiration, instead of it being like, oh shit, is this the best thing I've ever made ever? It's more like inquisitive, like, oh, that's kind of interesting. Maybe that's kind of getting into a more interesting place. And so you're much more prone to move forward, I think. Yeah. Um, it's a clever technique, isn't it? Because it allows you, it triggers your play yeah. mode and you go into that and forget about the doubts that you have or yes. self-questioning or any of that exactly that yeah. pushed to one side so you can move on to the next bit and so i mean say when you heard the song that benji worked with um delilah montague on and mm. you know you know you like that song you know but obviously it triggered a another connection yeah. within you and then particularly maybe when you saw that instagram version that she totally, posted yeah yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, that, that touches me so much that yeah. i want to do something with that yeah. And then is the first stage to then match it with a drone or yeah, to match it with, so a, drone, match it with yeah. a drone, which might lead to some melodies. Might lead to some melodies. Yeah. A drone, maybe a few small melodies, but the main thing is just creating something like the drone that you can then put the vocal in and be just moving the pieces around in an environment that feels like it's beginning to be reframed as opposed to it just being like anonymous. You're immediately stripped of the baggage of the original piece more easily, I think. Yeah. And do you have any examples of this song in that stage of development? Would I'm you sure kept, I do. Would you have kept those or, or would you just move? That's just something that you're doing without necessarily noting. Yeah, they'll... they'll... Pull me out of this. It would be interesting to hear how this then developed at each little stage, possibly, if, if you can. Yeah, so I mean, I think typically then I would like have a... So like I've just loaded up a... kit. So this is just playing on my laptop. So that's, you're actually playing that now. Yeah. Because so I, it'd be like seeing like which rhythmic pockets she's 
encouraging because I think there's often there is often like a in the same way that people's speech like we were talking about last time are leaning towards certain key signatures I think similarly like there are pockets that the rhythms and choices of her melodies lean towards in terms of drum beats and stuff so then I would just try a bunch and make a bunch of different drum beats in this realm need to get some sounds that work here you know how to come And then in that realm, once there's some sort of thing that feels right rhythmically, like it's highlighting the right ghost notes and stuff, then I'd probably start to play a piano or try and find something that can sort of frame the melody of it a bit more. Yeah. And do you record it all or do you just keep playing and then start recording when you feel you're getting somewhere? I'm kind of always recording because, I mean, Logic has this thing called Capture, so if anything's MIDI, and a lot of the time, actually, you can set it up so it works with audio as well. It's actually always recording. So I don't actually ever hit record. I just play and play and play, and then I hit capture when something good happens. Right. Yeah, I mean, that. <laughs> that's, that's quite useful, though, isn't it? I mean, it, yeah. it means you're not consciously recording, but you have kind of captured it. Totally, it totally. Yeah, because I, I get the impression that a lot of the process is improvisation, really, you know, and that you're constantly fiddling around, mm. waiting till it feels right yeah trying and to then, stumble across accidents is yeah. a big thing as well so just like trying to keep sort of playing in the arena of the song for long enough that an accident can happen is often what leads to the inspiration and then further down the line you start to hone it and start to hone in on different a aspects of it that you want to tweak and get yeah. right and change yeah exactly the thing that i sort of differentiate more and more and more in my process <laughs> is like the difference between things that you need to protect your perspective on because they come from like the heart and the things that come from the head. So like, for example, at the end of this song, at the end of the process of working on it, Kieran and I spent quite a bit of time honing the like sonics of the drums to make sure they would knock right when we were playing them out and stuff like that. I in the past have spent so many hours doing that at the beginning of the process caring about like if the drum's not right when in reality I should be rewriting the whole chorus. The problem with that to me is that you, you've got a kind of finite amount of fresh heart perspective, I think, to work with. It does run out or you, at least you have to leave it for a long time before it can give time to like rejuvenate. And so that is to be really protected to me, like how long you can work on a song. And I mean, it's running out from the moment you start. <laughs> I think like to me with songs like I'm only trying to honor the way I felt when I first had this idea of what it could sound like when I first like got the rough shape of it and I was like, oh my god this could feel like this that is essentially what I then spend the next few months like trying to honor that feeling there and obviously because we're human your perspective gets warped and frazzled and massively affected by what you know you've done and you can see on the page that this and this is happening you know you're biased beyond belief and so trying to protect anything like any part of the process that is technical or head or thing, I just try to avoid focusing on any of that until I feel like the heart of the song is there. Yeah. If you see what I mean. And I guess presumably you wouldn't have started to test these in the live environment until you were happy with where that feeling was at. Totally. But it's amazing how 
shit some of the ones that I were happy with are. If you see what I mean, like, right. I mean, yes, but the yeah, that like usually after a day of working on something, I'm like, or even a cup, you know, I'll play things in a rave after working on them for like two hours, and you can just mix out of it really quickly. Right. <laughs> it's yeah. really yeah. shit, and I'll like often have like. Because I'm so loose with it, I'll like bounce a tune and accidentally leave the click playing and stuff like that, or like have whole mistakes coming in. So quite often I'll be playing stuff in rows and some section will come in that's like a massively out of key vocal that I forgot to mute, and I'll be like, sort of mix into <laughs> another thing. But it's good; to, it's a blessing to be able to try songs in those kind of places. Yeah, I mean that seems like a massive change compared to when we spoke to you before. You know that not only can you collaborate in person with people and come up with various different versions but then you can play them and see how a crowd reacts see how your friends react in yeah, that yeah, kind yeah. of situation as well which clearly for this song had a big impact so um i'm trying to work out which bits we should hear now because you've explained quite a lot already mm. and you've already explained that we had that club experience where you changed your mind uh, yeah. and changed the way that the piano was working so i guess the i mean the other thing that happened through working in it like when I was playing that version with George earlier that uses much more of Delilah's vocal like a lot of the time not always but sometimes the purest thing feels like if you can condense it into one line or two lines which essentially this became like there's a few other bits of her vocal but essentially it's her saying you know how to calm me down and then pull me out of this and that's the journey of the song that I wanted to tell and purify as much as possible so there was a so yeah, it took a second to uh, try and strip it to its raw parts of storytelling there, I guess. And then there's just like, oh, do you know what sound is quite cool? Is when it gets to the, is in this session? Sorry, these are massive sessions. So there's four different sessions called Pull Me Out of This, and three of them say final. <laughs> 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 and they're quite big, so they take, um, and God knows how many alternates inside each one of those there is. You know what, though? I don't want to be the guy who's glorifying too much. They're like, I've got a thousand versions of this song. Do you know what I mean? It's sometimes annoying yeah. when you hear people being too much like... <laughs> yeah, but in a way, maybe I would have thought that you don't want a thousand versions because that's another thousand decisions. Yeah, yeah, no, um, it's the worst, yeah. <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's the worst position to be in. No, I agree. It's much nicer when it... There are songs where you just kind of... The alchemy of them are presented more fully formed. But I really enjoy all versions of it, like... That, I think, is a big part of it. Like, you can choose to become someone who goes, if it doesn't get there in the first two hours, I don't chase it. And there are a lot of great musicians who work that way, and that is totally valid. And then there are also some people who, if it comes too quickly, they positively sort of suspicious of it, and they only like the things that take months and months and months, mm. which I find precarious as a thought process, but there's definitely, obviously, great music has been made through every approach. But yeah, I'm a big fan of trying to embrace any way in which it can come and like being down for the nine months slow home as much as the one hour release it the next day thing so this synth kind of every sound to varying degrees is almost always like built from a sample or a vocal generally so you know whether it's like the keys layer like those bits but also I love making sounds that kind of sound quite simple but from like really complex start points so this in the breakdown 
Here we go, yeah. So this is a piece of music. Like kind of choral music. So if you then pitch that up, would it be seven semitones from that? And then start slicing it. Um, I love these sounds so much. So like in the breakdown, all of these sounds that are moving around. That have I just love how much animation they have because they're oh they're like so much information being repressed by the chop. Like so it's trying to at the moment where it bursts through, you can tell it's got so much more to say than it's being allowed to say in the time yeah. it's given. And that feeling, I mean, this runs through sort of the tune from that point onwards, but all of those, because it starts to get like rhythmicized more. All of that stuff. This is what I love about sampling, I think, is so much. It's how often the thing that makes it is what you would never have, all the stuff aside the core information of like the note, like you would never have chosen to add the random like chaos of people talking in the background of a vocal or you would never choose to add like the way the choir slides between the notes but those like intricacies is what defines the sound i think and and there are elements that i don't know i think maybe only you would use in that way you know because you've got so many overlapping things mm. and to try and get them i mean you, you are doing that to for your own interest you know just to keep things interesting no to, i think to articulate it's like, something yeah like i think it's the sound that speaks, I mean, I think probably on a fundamental level, the reason why I like so many things to come from voices is because, I don't know, I haven't thought about this before, but I don't think it would be like advanced psychology to say like that's obviously the most human thing we mm. have. And so even if it then becomes a synth, a voice that's been like chopped and thingied into being a synth to me has some depth to it that I can't get from a sine wave usually. But yeah, I think it being born from a voice that's the thing to me is like the songs, one having lots of voices in a more literal, like different people talking and singing and so on. But also I just love that every aspect of the DNA of the music is built from humans in other respects too, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. We should move on. So maybe we should hear the end of Delilah and then a bit of that last voice where it just talks about dancing, is it? Yeah, yep. yeah. I love that. Pull me out of this. Was it that section that you'd worked on with Kieran in terms of getting the, the drums? Yeah, right? the drums throughout the whole yeah, thing, making yeah. sure that the core transients are knocking in the right way. Just noted that there's a crash that's out of phase, but we'll address that another day, I think.
I mean, there's so many different things, so many different voices, so many different elements. Yeah. You know, especially you know the contrast between, say, when you're making that as a as a, a tune and including all those different elements. You know, the random voices that that they're not random at the same time because mm. you've chosen them. When you're creating the music, do you have them already queued up, ready to go? And oh uh, no, no. And when you're doing, say, like the border room set, or yeah, uh, do you have them on certain keys that you can just? Well, no, I think or, in sets of that, they're in the music. Right. So by that point, they're already there. And then at some point during the music, various things, I think it's just kind of just over the course of working on a record, just like random things will end up on my phone. Or often when I'm like losing inspiration on a song, if I put another human somewhere in it, it reinvigorates it to me. I can hear it in the context of like not just myself, which is the like most dangerous vacuum to get in. So I think that maybe is something to do with it. Yeah. So that's Delilah. The next song we're going to look at is Berwin. All that I got is you. We're going to take a quick break, but we'll be back with that after this. So the next song we're going to look at is Berwin. All that I got is you. And if you could play us the Master Fred, that'd be great. Give a fuck what they think. I swear I love you more than every single sheet of Rizla I've lived. Fuck the neighbors, turn the music up. I love you more than all the bottles I've seen the bottom of. With your hand in my hand, bottoms up. So that's how it all starts. Who Whose is that voice who's saying, fuck the neighbours? So that's Bowen. Yeah, he's so a song's named after, yeah. He's an absolute brother of mine. Adore Bowen. And that was something that he... Yeah, that was a video he posted, I think. He's wearing like a white wife beater and he's like looking up and the, the imagery of him, of what he's saying, I just found really moving. And the, the record as a whole, I think, is about this... Well, a sort of handful of things, but the like, it's like a sort of, to me, a sort of journey into a sort of claustrophobic, codependent sort of relationship thing, which isn't like, yeah, in a non sort of healthy way, I guess. And I love how his lyrics to me, like the love in them sounds so sincere, but there does seem something isolating about them. Like it, I mean, this might just be me projecting onto them, but particularly twinned with the all that I got is you vocal as well. Like it just tells this like, it just feels like these people who are isolated from everything in a way that is beautiful, but also in a way that is sort of scary and quite dangerous, I think. It's walking that that cliff edge, as it were, between the two. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, th- I mean, this is like another one that had... Um... Actually, no, I think that, yeah, the first version of this, let me see, this kind of knew itself from pretty early doors. The first version beyond the drone was this different key ah uh, no not even that close <laughs> <laughs> oh no that's sketch too hold on give me a chance John Yeah, the thing I think I realized I wanted to do 
in this was making it so that the kick drum was just providing like a rhythmic frame rather than telling any sort of emotion. I really I tried a bunch of different drum stuff. Like there was even one where we built it all out of the um where's this all done? Yeah. There was this where it's like the rhythmic palette is all built out of that table. I mean, most of the drums from the record are made out of that table, but just less obviously, which I like the world of. But um, but it's like it was instructing the emotion of it too much. What I realized, I think, was that just that vocal from Dermot saying, all that I got is you, and they're like, oh, I'm playing in a different key, but the piano, it was one of those ones that sort of wanted to have just the frame of the kick showing you where the rhythm was but nothing instructing the emotion and nothing trying to like make it dance or anything beyond just like, here's a kick, here's a pulse around this is just these like three chords, that one line and Bowen's poem and then bits of words from Kyle as well later. But yeah, so I guess this was a sort of journey to reduction on this one. Mm. Um, there's lots of like, like these sounds here I really like, which is... All of these kind of like, they sort of sound to me like a wind section of an orchestra being strangled. Oh, I love these sounds. So that's built from, do you know the sampler app that you can get on an iPad? I don't. It's really sure great because I actually don't know if it's as known as it should be. Maybe it is. But the um, what is sick, I think, about iPads is that they allow for the like, physical interaction that you're so restricted in not having a touch screen on a laptop so you can suddenly go back to being able to like move multiple parameters at once as opposed to this very archaic mouse system that we still use yeah if you know what i mean um so it's like this thing that you can have a sample and you can see the waveform and so like you can move around the waveform with your hands as right. though you're yeah. touching it on the screen like that and so you can then I think we dragged in like a sort of roomy guitar solo that a friend of ours had played. And then you can like switch up and down the octaves. That's like Jack Parisi sliding around through the waveform and then me like going plus one, minus one, minus one, minus one, plus one on the octave. So it's like glitching up and down. But yeah, it's really good that thing because you can be expressive with it in a way that's really hard to be with a lot of the sounds I like to work with. Yeah. And yet, I mean, when I watch you use your laptop and use your keyboard, you are a master. Um, <laughs> and I'm always amazed by how you manage to work it, because it seems that within a tiny, no, a millisecond, you can switch it from working on the drums to playing a piano piece and adjusting various different things, adding in different elements all at the same time on the same instrument, basically, mm. your laptop. Whereas, you know, if you were Rick Wakeman or something, you'd be surrounded <laughs> yeah, by yeah, all these yeah, different yeah, instruments yeah, yeah. in order to bring in all those different colors. But, you know, is that efficiency that you have and facility, is that something that you've honed or is it something that has just built up over years of practice? Yeah, no, I, th I mean, it is, as you say, this is like very much my instrument, I think. Like, and so I practice it. I mean, the best way to practice is obviously just doing. You can't sort yeah. of practice how to become like with a piano or any other instrument. 
I had a moment where I tried to use Ableton because Ableton's great and I do use it for some things. And I realized how much I was taking for granted about how much of the language of this I speak fluently and I just don't have to think. And so I kind of went back. And also the when I was trying to use Ableton, it's because Logic hadn't implemented a bunch of stuff that Ableton had that Logic has now since caught up with anyway. So it's all right. good. But yeah, in that moment, I did realize that there was like everything I did on Ableton, I was having to think about and do. And in the realm of like this stuff, it was just so, I realized that that was the instrument that I've spent probably more 10,000 hours on than piano or drums or any of the other ones. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> yeah. And so that, you know, that, I guess that started with just trying to achieve a simple thing, which was probably just record yourself playing piano. Yes. And then, yeah, how can yeah, I yeah. use that? Oh, well, oh, I can use this. Button. Yeah, and that it, is know, a funny and, thought. I had, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, well, it's amazing. And all those different things that you do, those live recordings in effect, you know, the piano EPs, you know, that's all just you on your laptop sat in a particular location mm. you, using time constructively. So you're yeah, in a, yeah, at yeah. a station waiting for a train. You can also play with your own music. Totally, totally. I mean, I, I've um, said this before, but like, I think that the it's the same thing we were talking about earlier with getting into states of play. Like, I think the reason why I like making music out and about, and particularly on methods of transport, is because by the nature of being on the train, you're already ticking a box. Like you're already doing a job you need to do, whatever. You're like getting to the place you need to get to. So just by the nature of sitting still, you're kind of getting something done. So by the time you open up your laptop, I think your mind is in a state of play because it's like, oh, well, you know, we're already getting something done, but while I'm here, I might as well just try messing around with this a bit and got a 45 minutes here, so I might as well just see. Or even I love the tube ones where you've got like 12 minutes because then you all you could possibly do is play. Like there's no other option. You can't try and get like in 12 minutes on a crowded tube carriage. You can't. So you just kind of open it up and just sort of try random things you wouldn't usually try. What headphones are you wearing for that purpose? Apple headphones, always. Yeah. Wired Apple Wired. headphones. Yeah. Right, okay. Because the delay yeah. and the, we haven't sorted out the AirPods to not have a latency right. if you're like playing drums on the keyboard. Are there, is there a noise cancellation option on those? No, but that's no. what I, I'm thrilled there's not. Right. Yeah, I wouldn't want there to be. So you want to be able to hear around you as well at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Because that kind of informs in a very literal way, but also in a more abstract way, I think just the music. Like I don't like being in a vacuum mm. on any sense. So yeah, it inspires me like seeing people and hearing people and seeing the humanity around it as well as, yeah, more than anything else. And it's definitely reflected in the music. I mean, that's one of the reasons why, you know, there is this rich sound world within <laughs> your work, I think, because clearly it's such an important part of everything, mm. it being surrounded by all these sounds. I mean, so you know, if we move further on in Berwyn, you know, there's a kind of second section of the song, isn't yeah. there? With another voice. Who's that person? So uh, this is Kyle, who um, I sampled on I Found You on the first right. album. And Kyle is someone who's stayed in touch and is, yeah, an absolute sweetheart. And he sent me a voice note kind of mid last year in which he said still winter the only warmth in running together you full color howling life into a dead moon the ghosts born on our lips whirling together in lantern light this is not the end of the world. 
So, I mean, he just sent that to you? That was because I was saying to him, yeah, I mean, we were just talking about like, that was more like a, in the context of me, like being like, how you been keeping, what you been up to? And he's like, you know, this, this going on, I wrote this poem the other day and he's like, read it out. And, you know, I've spaced out the lines much more. So it sounds right. much more sort of spacious and performative, yeah. if you know what I mean. But I love the difference in like, the sort of connotations of the way born on our lips, whirling together in lantern light. Of the way Carl speaks, and then fuck the neighbors, turn the music up. Like it's so Oh, like I love how different those humans mm. are. And so putting them on the same music to me, I really loved the feeling it gave me because it's like it felt like the equivalent of like a drastic tempo change and genre switch almost like halfway through a song but just by changing the style of speech that comes in the first and second half yeah big ups Kyle yeah and they do different things you no know, and the, totally yeah and the two contrasted give a weight you know Kyle brings a weight that Bowen already has given it but it's a different kind of weight you know? yeah yeah and, definitely um, yeah it's a fascinating combination um but we we are conscious of time you know because uh <laughs> you need to go places. So we do want to look at another song. Do, do, are we it. okay to move on from Berwyn? Or is totally, there anything yeah. else? Yeah. So the next song we're going to look at is Kelly, End of a Nightmare. We'll take another break and then we'll be back to look at that one. Beautiful. The next track we're going to look at from Actual Life 3 is Kelly, End of a Nightmare. Take it away, Fred. You're going to play us the master. Take hold of me, take hold of me, take So the take hold of me refrain is from wet, is that right? That's from Kelly, yeah, from wet, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And who are wet? Well, so yeah, I know Kelly, who's the singer from wet, who's a friend of mine. And yeah, she's got this unbelievable voice. And so that's from, she sent me a bunch of like voice notes that she'd recorded from the year of just sort of things that she found herself singing. And so this was made out of one of those, just those two lines. I mean, there was many more lines, obviously, but the take hold of me and the you're near the end of a nightmare. This would have been in about, yeah, August. And so that lyric just felt like a thing that was really important to happen in the record at that moment. Because also I think to me, this it's kind of, they're a trilogy to me, like they're all kind of about the same thing and they're all, for me, charting like the same story. And so I wanted to have, yeah, just her saying you're near the end of a nightmare felt like a good, important thing to say at this point. Um, but yeah, her voice is obviously just, like it's so it's like asmr almost the way she sounds to me like it's so wraps around my head mm. with its intimacy but the thing i was actually i realized the thing i was mentioning earlier yeah you mentioned a synth didn't you yeah i can show you that here so on this there's this thing that is oh uh, yeah it also doesn't 
totally unprovoked modulation halfway through, which I really... Because it's all in this kind of realm. I had this thing with this when I was first working on it, the thing we're talking about of, um, of like finding the drones and stuff that... Take hold of me, take hold of me, take hold of me. And she found, felt really beautiful in that key and in that pitch of her voice. But she also had this thing that happened when it went to here. And that same line, when she sang Take Hold of Me in the old key, and it was, Take hold of me, take hold of me. It felt dark and like something was taking hold of you that you didn't want it to. But then when she was here, Take hold of me, take hold of me. It felt like the same lyric had a different meaning. And it felt like a thing that something you wanted to take hold of you was beginning to lift you up. But what was most interesting about that to me is that they've only felt that. So I spent a while trying to work out which key the song was better in. And I realized that they both only gave that feeling in relation to each other. So you had to hear both keys to feel that journey of what the Take Hold of Me lyric meant. Right. If I had just played it in one key to someone and they never even knew about the other one, it didn't carry the thing. So then it was like, okay, right. What if I tried to do both keys in one song? And then there was this moment where, shout out Marco Parisi, the other Parisi brother who I make all of this music with, had this lovely bit of clarity of like, let's do it how we would do it if we were playing it and mix it between songs and just like not try and do some, because sometimes in tunes we'll try and do some, you know, because it's a minor third modulation. It's a really awkward one. If you were to do this in like a Debussy piano concerto, he would he would dedicate 24 bars to like navigate Away. I mean, that was shit. <laughs> but like, you'd find some way of getting there that, and navigating through the keys so that you could move up those keys. But to me, this is one of my favorite moments in the whole record because it, instead, you're in this whole realm of B flat major. And then, like you would be playing it in a set, you're in drums, just four bars of drums, and your mind resets, and then. It announces a totally new key and she's like presented in this new realm but it's so like I love how like it's not it's the opposite of every part of classical music I've ever done where they that's like the most banned thing and unprepared modulation is like that's the work of the devil <laughs> <laughs> and so I love how like crassly it's presented but, but yes it's part of the language isn't it of this world you know the world of the rave or you know this world of of dance music no totally yeah and and how does that relate to that synth that you were talking so about so that there's this synth here that i really love because i use it in a similar way on another tune as well it's a nice sounding siren yeah the reality <laughs> the gritty so, reality of fred's environment <laughs> <laughs> so this um is a voice <laughs> from a French pop record and then pitched up and start to slice it up and it becomes this like which in the context of the Don't 
But that's another sample, isn't it? Just yeah, that. yeah. So uh, that is a good example to me of one that, like, in some hits of it are really purely like just uh, pure. But there's certain moments where all of her intricacies like force their way through in this little chop they're given, and it gives it so much more human emotion to me. Sorry, I'm confused. So which is the synth bit? Then? The synth is. Um, well, it becomes a synth. Oh, right. So yeah, you've yeah, created yeah. a, Sorry, yeah. a new synth. I call synth. this a synth. Right, right. Okay. In, in its That's core, good. it's not exactly. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you've created your own synth sound. Yeah. That's what most sounds I use yeah, are, yeah, are originally yeah, yeah. once upon a time, but then they become so. Yeah. You can kind confusion. of do the same thing with drums sometimes as well. I don't know if I've got an example of that on here, but like, I mean, you know, because the reality of it is that you can kind of make any sound from any sound. It's about what things put you on an interesting journey to the sound you want to make, I think, often. And yeah, so like starting with voices is always like just my favorite way. Yeah, yeah. Talking of um, changing the topic mm -hmm. slightly, but talking of um, rhythm and tempo and beats, and you listen to the album and also say, you know, if we were to go and watch one of your sets, you cover an awful lot of different styles of dance music, really. Mm. You know, so say with Kelly, it's more of a breakbeat type thing and you know some of it is more house and you don't limit yourself you know it's all there for you you know you can use mm -hmm. whatever you want and definitely from this conversation you're choosing beats that help articulate the emotions of the songs as much as anything else it's not like sure. you're trying to create a certain kind of bang yeah in the, in the middle of something yeah you, it's all part of articulating the emotion and the feeling that you're trying to get across so but do you have any particular criteria or you know, is there somewhere you would never go? Oh, right. No. Because you seem to draw from it all. You know, yeah, drum yeah, and bass, yeah, breakbeat, yeah. handbag house. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, um, no, I don't think there is anywhere I wouldn't. Because I think sometimes certain producers and, and I guess certain musicians, you know, they have a certain palette. They'll you know, mess around with it a bit, but they're not going to go beyond it. Yeah, no, I don't understand the thing of, I think maybe it was uh, in dance music, there was a thing of like hyper genre and then even like sub genres and people mm. being like, I only listen to this really specific sub genre of this one thing. But I don't feel like that really exists now. Like, I just think everyone, everyone's grown up listening to everything because it's not just like the records that are in your parents' collection that dictates what you can hear now, which is, yeah, to me, way more exciting because you don't attach your identity to like, one micro scene, you attach it to like some random hodgepodge of things that you found yourself being drawn to because of all of your life experiences. So yes, I love the sort of way I think everyone is kind of increasingly seeing music and it being very open in that way. Yeah, no, it is great. Is there anything else we need to hear from Kelly? You did want to talk about Mustafa a little bit. Have we got time to do that? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I wonder if it's in this, oh, it's in this version of the session. Now it's only me that needs to save himself Feel like I can be here while you're in that round For a time To me this record is just important to the whole sort of three albums because it's like it's a sort of summary of everything but in a very sort of peaceful run where all of the different samples well not all of them but a huge number of the different things that have been in the last three records can kind of all in the same way that you hear like Berwin and Kyle next to each other and see what mm. those voices do when they're sat next to each other I was very struck by how like 
much I felt the voices differently by hearing them all in the context of each other, which you'll see what I mean here. For anybody who has been listening to all three albums, they will immediately get a lot of those references, yeah. you know, and it's part of of the world that you've created, which is really exciting. And and for anybody who who hasn't come across the three yet, you know, they'll still be excited when they hear all these <laughs> elements. I think, but it's like Easter eggs or something within a film, or and it we in a way are taken on that little run of emotion through the albums again. Even when we just hear "I Found You," mm. it takes us back to Kyle, yeah, you know, and then we're still living the journey just as you have been in a way you know we're going through that process mm. what happens next for you then so if this is a trilogy does this mean all of that is gonna go i don't i don't know I, I definitely i mean there's a record i'm working on with brian that is part of this story because it was made at the same time it's a slightly different type of album but it's definitely part of the same story but i think it's just like i needed to sort of draw a line in the sand just because because as I say they're all kind of like about the same thing and it's very intense process of like making it and so it's not like reached some like oh we're at the end it's like I just need to draw a line in the sand to give myself permission to like breathe from it for a second mm. and then I'm sure I'll make another like actual life record but I'm just gonna pause from that particular type of introspection for a second because I don't think it was I think it was hitting a point where it wasn't going to be healthy if you sort of mean um I don't know I've got a bunch of ideas there's a this is where like collaboration is such a godsend like there's a record I've made with Skrillex as well or at least we're working on and there's more stuff with Fortet and there's a bunch of other things I think I'm going to try exploring in those realms for a second um yeah, because I think that would be the best thing to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and in a way, I guess you've been doing that a little bit between these for records, sure. Yeah, you know, totally, with yeah. the USB EP and the, the various different singles, one-off totally. collaborations, you know, which have always been really exciting. But that's one of the great things in such a short space of time. You've done an awful lot of stuff, <laughs> yeah, um, and explored various different ideas, but also reached out and worked with so many different people. Mm. Such a friendly guy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's, it's really exciting. And I love the way that you kind of both bring people up, you know, and work with people who are bigger as well. You know, there's, it's a, an even playing field for everybody, you know, because they're just all working together yeah. with you, you know. Totally. Yeah. No, I don't see everyone's so similar once you're, you know, just in a room. Any sort of baggage that you attach to someone being a big name or, anything else like that just kind of disappears straight away. 
Yeah, it's brilliant because in a way you bring a bit of shine to each other. Yes, as it were. definitely, yeah. definitely. That's the main thing that is most fun about it to me is you learn. It like affords you a license to explore a bit further into a corner that you wouldn't feel comfortable to do on your own or sometimes way further. Yeah, like the whole record with Brian is like a totally different realm for all of the actual life samples to exist in. And he empowers that in it, definitely. Interesting. Can't wait to hear it. Thanks. Is that a 2023, 20, 24? I quite want to put it out early next year. Hmm. Yeah, because I don't want it to be too separate from these three records because, as I say, they are part of the same story to me. Fred, thanks so much for welcoming us into your home. I appreciate uh, it very much. Do this John. episode of Take Notes. Um, and we have been filming. Hopefully, people can watch all of that on YouTube or going Sick. according to plan and see this amazing setup you have. I mean, we're sat in these lovely wooden chairs, but beside us is the piano that you've been playing. And on top of that, a couple of CDJs and a Pioneer mixer. And I just loved that combination, this fairly old looking piano. How old yeah. is this piano? This is probably about 100 years, I think. Right. And then fairly recent technology on top of it but uh, I, I like the idea that you know you can have some fun DJing yeah, and yeah. playing piano yeah, along there's been the a lot time. of that there's right. been a lot of that I also feel like at this moment I should shout out the two beautiful Albanian men who helped us carry this piano up these stairs they're both about five foot one <laughs> and the strongest men I've ever seen in my life me and my flatmate Hen Hen is six eight I'm six four and we had we were trying to ca- I mean th- these kind of pianos are an absolute art form to move and so we had this moment where we were like, we called, we were like, okay, there's no way we're getting this anywhere near. And we called this piano removals company and we stood outside the front door and these two men walked around the corner and we looked at each other and we were like, no way, no way. This isn't getting moved an inch. <laughs> and these two guys, cumulatively the same sight as me, at the same height as me and Hen. <laughs> One of them had it on his head. Well, it was, it was the most beautiful art form I've ever seen in my life. And they carried this thing all the way up three flights of stairs. Wow. And me and Hen were just there. You know, when you're like, uh, you're like there you know that the most helpful thing you can do is nothing they just yeah big ups those beautiful men wow <laughs> that is amazing fantastic <laughs> um we will just keep you for a little bit longer Fred. <laughs> for the two questions we ask everybody who comes on the oh, yeah. podcast you've answered them before but you might have a different answer this time nice. one is the tech thing a piece of equipment i think last time it was your phone basically because that was such a <laughs> is that what i said cheat code um, yeah but it was good because you'd created so much especially of, of actual life you know using your phone yeah I would say, oh, maybe it's that expert sleepers spectral conquest thing, mm. the thing that you can draw the frequencies in. Yeah. That is a very beautiful tool for like sound designing and just shaping it. Yeah. The other thing would just be like sampling, like all of the sounds I make that people ask me most about, like, how did you do that? And it's kind of always just like samples. Like it's not unbelievable, intricate sound design. It's more just like, taking a sound that's already unbelievably intricate and if anything trying to simplify it so it can have some sort of order to it when you're recording say like you said you record a lot of your drum sounds came from the table mm. now when you're recording that table how are you recording it with my phone so that's with your phone so you just put, yeah do you have the phone on the table or, or? yeah there's a very there's a yeah. big difference to the sound in it yeah. if it's like with the phone like almost next to your thumb you essentially get pure transients. The way the compression algorithm works in the iPhone is amazing in terms of how much directionality, or rather how much, because it compresses the sound loads no matter what. So if you put the iPhone a foot away from your hand as you press on the table, it's massively compressing 
the room sound. Like it's going to be squeezing that delay that you have. I wonder if I can demonstrate it with this mic. Like the difference, obviously this is really simple, but like you can hear the transient of that. And then yeah, yeah like yeah. that's obviously a non-compressed version of it, but the, what the iPhone does is it then squeezes that whole sound together. So the one that's close, you have a really tight transient on, and the one that's further away, it squeezes the sustain of the sound. And yeah, those things make a big difference in terms of like the emotional like feeling of it. Like if you allow that room to breathe a lot of the time, the sound innately feels more human and lived in and you hear it and you can relate it to things in your life sort of consciously or unconsciously. That's a confusing and roundabout way of saying not a lot. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I know, I think you said a lot there because I mean, it's how you capture this. I mean, it's funny, it seems really mundane, but how you capture that and then know how you get it into your laptop to then fiddle around with yeah. it because it's all speed you know you, you're yes. interested in speed yes. so that you can get something that you're interested in and start playing with it immediately so are you airdropping it from the phone yeah, exactly. to the laptop yeah, yeah, yeah. and you can get on it and start using your spatial awareness things yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and start playing around <laughs> and and but then afterwards you can reconfigure them according to what yeah it's trying to protect that expiring moment the heart perspective thing we were talking about earlier like that's why i'm interested in moving quickly because in that phase of making a song it does matter because you lose your clarity of heart i think after a bit um what's the other one the other is advice oh, so shit. we ask for uh, if you've got any advice to pass on or if you've received advice that you would like to share yeah i don't know what advice i would have Maybe the Brian thing I already said, could take his and claim it as mine. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that the, the stuff you're saying about keeping that, that heart feeling is pretty important. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah, it's, yeah. it's um, the expenditure of creative energy and how quickly or how long we can make it last is kind of important because, you know, whatever creative endeavor it is, if you get sick of it and fed up with it, you move on and, totally. and forget it and feel depressed and annoyed that no you've lost something yes yeah 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 that is a hard feeling that one i've lived in it a lot <laughs> but no that is for sure important 100 percent. fred thanks so much i appreciate it thank Absolutely you for having fantastic. me john appreciate great it, to see you in your own environment love thank working you for away coming. superb stuff we should let everybody hear one more song from the album a kind of outro piece okay. i mean I, I did think maybe we could use winnie and of great. me that yeah, seemed yeah. like a logical one and this is it then. This is Winnie, end of me, rounding things up. Thanks again, Fred. Thanks so much, John. Appreciate it. Go. Alright. I'm back, guy. Sailor. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. You'll be the end of me.